Hey everybody, Pastor Paul Trimble here with Bent Tree Church. Hey, I want to welcome you and say thanks for joining us for this Bible teaching on video. I just want to give you a couple of things before we get started. One is if you do not have a church home and you live in the northern Colorado area, come join us. We would love to have you. Uh, just check out the Bent Tree website. It's called benttreechurch.com and it'll have things like times, locations, beliefs, what you can kind of expect the first time you would visit. Uh, but the second thing I want to share with you is this, is this video teaching is designed to be supplemental to your church. So if you have a church, make sure and go to that church. Don't use this as an excuse to stay home and be unconnected. The church is far more than just the sermon. It's an important part, but I want you to go and be involved in your church. Well, I hope you enjoy this. God bless. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you're here. Uh, uh, anybody looking for some Bible teaching this morning? Uh, anybody, just anybody in the crowd? Uh, uh, good. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm excited about being here. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Joel chapter 3. That's an Old Testament book, a little bit uh, kind of in the middle, uh, physically in the middle of the book there. Uh, so go ahead and uh, get your Bibles out. Out, turn to Joel, uh, follow along with your notes. If you've never done that, you might try it. Uh, trying to take advantage of that thing it has all of our things on there. Uh, or the Bible app. We also use the Bible app a lot. We put our notes on there. While you're doing, let me, let me uh, getting all that stuff ready, let me give you just a heads up on something that's pretty exciting here that we're doing. We've got a fall just jam-packed with stuff. So if you want to just be ready for this, kind of look at your calendar. Uh, October 3rd, uh, we begin something we wanted to do for a long time. It's called GROW, uh, G-R-O-W, as in plant, GROW, harvest. GROW is a Wednesday night deal where you can come here to the building, to our meeting place and just uh, we've got different things going on so we've got financial peace university if you uh, have never gone through that this is a, a way to uh, biblically get your finances in order uh, and, and people that have gone through it just love that and then also uh, connecting with other people going through it uh, you can sign up for that just in your program you can see that connect card drop it in the plate uh, but then we've got other things going on as well we have a women's uh, study that is going to be for moms raising kids. I don't know if we have any of those here, but uh, we've got uh, uh, just to be spiritually raising your kids, how to do that. Um, and then uh, one of our most gifted and knowledgeable teachers, Jerry Shockley, uh, is also going to be leading something I'm so excited about, uh, a prayer study. Uh, now we're doing this kind of a, a fall semester, and then we'll do it in the spring semester, right? Uh, so uh, you, you can, uh, if you can't do it this uh, fall, uh, or you can only come to part of it, come on. Uh, some of those classes will allow you. I think financial peace, you got to go to the whole thing on it. Uh, but it's at 6.30, October 3rd. That is kind of a meet and greet night. Just you can meet the teachers. You can go, hey, do I want to go on that? And so uh, if you want to be a part of that, and then it'll start the next Wednesday. Uh, so we're excited about that. 
Glenwood Springs has a series of caves up high. Anybody ever been there? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I, I love caves. I love, uh, I think it's called speedunking, you know, like going through. But I like the tame one with like the lights, you know, the power lights and the paved floors and you're on the tour. I don't I think I'd ever want to like go by myself, uh, you know, speedunking through with a flashlight, crawling on my hands and knees. Uh, I, I remember going there. Uh, I had this deal uh, just a few years ago. They put they put me in a group and my family in a group. And they said, uh, you know, first uh, there's some rules uh, like don't touch the walls. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then and then they said we need someone uh, to bring up the rear. And I said I've been bringing up the rear my whole life. So uh, I, I said I'd do that. So she put me in charge and. Uh, and, and I'm horrible to have on a tour because I'm always uh, funny. And uh, one of the things that she said, well, what you have to do is we've installed doorways, like physical doors, like in a house at the ends of these sections of the cave. So you've got to make sure the tour is all out of there. And then you reach back in and the light's back there. And then you turn the light off to the room we were just in. And she said, I'll go in in the dark and turn the next light on. And I thought, well, that's cool. Well, it came to the first one and we got to uh, the end of that part of the room. She said, okay, we're going on in. And I was amazed. She went in there, turned the light on. And then I stood back and let the door close just a minute. And I turned it off just to see what it'd be like. And it was dark. It was dark, and then I thought, and I, there's no window there, so it's like I was feeling for the doorknob. And I thought, man, I don't want to get lost in here. I don't want to get lost in here. Let me just say, this is the analogy for today. I'm your tour guide. We're going to enter a series of dark caves, uh, and, and I want you to stay close to the group. I've got the flashlight. I've got the Holy Bible right here. We're going we're gonna to stay close, but here's the deal. I don't want you to get lost, okay? So I want you to stay close follow along with your notes. I want you to do this. Uh, this is huge as we do it because here's the deal. The book of Revelation doesn't necessarily flow uh, in a continual timeline. No, uh, remember, it's Jesus giving this vision of the apostle to the Apostle John. John's writing this thing down furiously. And the book is more like a scrapbook. You know what I mean? It has a general uh, timeline through it. But then it'll you turn the page, and one page may be like a close-up of something that we talked about the first or in the future. Or you turn the other page, and it may have uh, some more pictures from that deal. That's what we're doing today. It shows the event from the point of uh, view of earth, and it'll show it from heaven, and uh, you know, we've seen just some strange imagery. Today, we look at an event uh, through the point of imagery. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not physical stuff, uh, or it's physical stuff, but it's not what you would really see on the earth. The imagery kind of helps us unpack it. Make sense? And just like many parts of Revelation, uh, I'll teach you what I think it might mean. I've studied hard on this, but realize there are different interpretations, open-handed things. Our point, as always, is to understand who God is. We want to understand the character of God. Amen? It's one of the reasons we study Scripture, and especially Revelation, and the character of who Jesus is. But the second reason is we want to understand what do we need to do right now to get ready for an event that the Bible says is coming soon. It's coming soon. 
Well, this cave that we're about to go into uh, is one that's foretold uh, many times in the Hebrew Scriptures. We call uh, what we call the Old Testament. Uh, here's an example. 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, um, the prophet Joel said this uh, about what we're going to study today. So take a look. Joel chapter 3, verse 12. And then I want you to think through what this is saying. But then I want you to kind of hold this scripture in your head for the entire time. Just refer back to it. Here it is. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For I will sit down to judge all those surrounding nations. Swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes because the winepress is full. The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Check this out, that last line. For the day of the Lord is what? Say it's near, near. Turn to your neighbor say the time is near. This is huge to understand, for the day of the Lord is near. Today we get to take a first look at many looks of what the most prophesied event in all of the Bible, both old and new, it's called the day of the Lord. Some people call it the second coming of Christ. Uh, sometimes people call it the great day of the Lord. Sometimes it's called the judgment of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Now, we should, uh, why should you care about this? And here's, uh, here's the short answer, because it affects you directly. And you're going, well, some of you are going, like, I'm not even a Christian. How could it affect me? And I go, oh, baby, uh, it, it affects you is what I'm saying. Uh, Every person, Christian or not, hearing the sound of my voice, this is for you. And today's part begins something so uh, crazy. You've got to study this. Just one more thing and we can get started. Uh, just like the first five weeks of our series, this week will be full of just strange images. Uh, and that imagery uh, has uh, focused on the last uh, few weeks is focused on the evil side you know what i'm saying like what's the evil side doing and then we talked about what does it mean on earth uh but this now is going to be different um this has been kind of the first half middle towards the end of the seven years of tribulation you remember that uh, now we're coming to the end of the seven years of tribulation this week this week payback starts payback starts not just for those seven years but for all of the entire history of mankind satan the antichrist the false prophet all their followers face judgment uh, they have been exerting control the last few weeks we've been studying this they've been ruling the day they've been at the height of this but that all changes today so let's get started i can't wait let's pray first father god we come to you asking you to give us wisdom on how to move forward God, this stuff that we're studying today seems so deep, so mysterious. My prayer is that not only do we not lose anyone in the caves of this uh, prophecy, but that you would reveal to us your truth of who you are and what we need to do to get ready to follow you. Uh, God, I pray for our friends listening that, um, that don't know you as Savior and Lord. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit, uh, you would call them from death to life, even today. 
um, that they would hear your voice, God, for the first time. Father God, I pray that you reveal yourself. I pray, pray that you uh, reveal your plans. Uh, it's in the name of Jesus we all prayed and said. Amen. Amen. I've been looking forward to today. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew 13, Jesus tells a series of parables. You know what I mean? Like there's that one where uh, he tells this uh, short story of the, uh, the farmer scattering the seed and talks about where the seed falls and what happens to the seed. Some grows up, shrivels and dies. So you remember that one? Raise your hand if you remember that one. You know, that's that. Now a parable, the short story, Jesus told him for two reasons. One is to help people to go deeper, his followers to go deeper. Uh, like a, in an, an analogy, a picture that you can kind of uh, kind of can climb on a little bit, but also to confuse his followers. And so, what Jesus does—I mean, not his followers, the his—to uh, confuse his uh, enemies. Uh, so, what he did is he would take his followers aside and he would tell us, "This is what this thing means." So, we're going to look at that—not this one, but right after it. And I, I share this because it's about a sower as well. And let me see if I can give you the picture just a little bit before um, I read the scripture. Let me just see if I can paraphrase it for you. Is a guy buys a field and uh, he's a farmer. He's going to plant seed. And it's going to be a big operation. So he plants a lot of seed. Has a lot of workers planting wheat, right? He's going to do this. And they get it all planted. And, and, and they're, man, they're tired. They're sitting there and a uh, few days later, uh, the wheat starts to come up, but something else starts to come up, and his servants come to the master and say, hey, uh, who did this? And he says, what? And he said, um, there's, there's weeds have been planted in here at the same time. You remember this story? And, and, and uh, they said, should we? They asked the, the landowner, they said, should we go ahead and pull the weeds up? He said, no, no, because you may pull up some of the good wheat, right? He said, here's what we're going to do. Check it out. Matthew 13, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell, you, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them in bushels or bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. You got that picture? This is interesting because John the Baptist, 10 chapters before you remember John the Baptist, he's the forerunner of Jesus, uh, sent to prepare the way for Jesus. This is what he said about the coming Messiah. Uh, this is what he said 10 chapters before this. He said this of Jesus, his winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Um, Pretty interesting. Both of these verses are about this day that we're talking about, the second coming of Christ when he comes, not as he did before, but as a judge to deliver his people. Back in Matthew 13, if you jump ahead to verse 37, so go back to thir uh, chapter 13, verse 37. Look at how Jesus explains this little story, this little parable. He says, he replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. In other words, he's saying it's me. I'm sowing the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Everybody clear so far? 
It says the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I've got to tell you, when I said this is a dark cave, this is a dark cave. So this is what today is all about, the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. Uh, remember, he came the first time, a baby born of a, uh, a virgin in the tiny town of Bethlehem, what we celebrate at Christmas, like deck the halls with, you know, I'm just, some of you got a little throw up in your back of your throat there, 13 weeks away, how you doing? Uh, look at this, look at this, verse 14, Revelation 14, this is where we get to our part, follow along, then I looked and there was a white cloud and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud. Do you see what John has seen? You see what he's seen? He's writing this down. He's seen the Son of Man. Who is that? That's Jesus. With a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Look at the images. Images are going to tell us what we need to know. This is important. Who is this? Say it. It's Jesus. Why is he seated? Why is he seated? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, tells us this. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. His enemies are about to be made his footstool. So write this down. Jesus is returning to earth physically as a conquering king. Now we're going to study this a ton, more and more, but just the beginning of the description. But make no mistake, Jesus is coming back here physically. Let's have a big amen. amen. He's coming back to earth. But check this out. This picture of him, Jesus in the clouds, is one we get from Scripture uh, not just in this verse, but we get this picture of clouds are often associated with heaven. Think about it. The last time humans saw Jesus on earth, clouds were involved, right? Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He, Jesus, was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus on a cloud that took him out. Uh, by the way, that would just be cool. I'm just saying, uh, not just to see it, but ride a cloud. I can't wait to ride a cloud. Can anybody else? This is going to be real. Some of you are going, is this guy like legit? I promise you. Uh, I, I want you to see that's the way he left us. But look at this. You're going to find something deep. Way back in the Old Testament by the old prophet Daniel. Daniel wrote this. In Daniel 7, 13, he said, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He appeared, he, I'm sorry, he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. Do you see the common theme here? Here it is, write it down. 
Clouds represent an image of God's glory. Now this is important because you are going to experience this firsthand. Look, look, look up here. Look up here. Think about clouds. Think about them. Clouds. You see them. How do you see them? Well, because there's light. Can't see clouds if there's no light. Sunsets are made beautiful with clouds. Now this is, this is the picture. The clouds are catching the light of God. This is what I want you to see. The clouds are catching God's glory, His light. And we see clouds all through the Old Testament. Uh, like here, this is a picture from the Old Testament. Moses, Exodus 40, 35. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He can't even get into the tent. The cloud is so thick. That's a thick cloud. You understand what it's saying? This is the picture here. The clouds are God's glory in this picture, literally filling the tabernacle. Now, in volume two, Revelation volume two that we looked at, the last series on Revelation, we looked at the throne room of God. Anybody remember that? How majestic it was. I'm glad both of you came. Um, the, um, God is on the middle, this massive throne, the lamb who was slain. You had the, the 24 elders, you had the, the four living creatures, and, you, and this, this massive millions of people worshiping God on this sea of glass. And, and it says, it describes clouds, but what's happening is that God is so bright, he's shining through these clouds that it creates, and it's just whacked out sounding to our little, our little ears and minds. It's creating rainbows, and not just one, just like rainbow on rainbow. Why? Because God's glory is shooting through these clouds. You go, I get it, Paul. Like, the clouds are really important. No, no, no. You don't get it yet. You don't get it. Check this out. We do the same thing as clouds. When we are made white by the blood of the Lamb, washing us clean, we are given His glory as we allow the the Holy Spirit to work through us, the light of God shines through the cloud we are. People begin to see His glory. Do you understand? This is why it's so important we reflect that light to a dying world because, baby, it's dark. It is dark in the cave. People see the glory of God lighting up their lives. They go, we don't know what that is, but we want some. We're not the beautiful thing the light is showing through us. Okay, back to verse 14. Sometimes I like to preach. All right, look, verse 14 again. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man seated on the what? Cloud. You guys are sharp. With a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. What's on his head? What's on his head? A crown. Um, a crown of gold. Write this down. Crowns represent two things here. Jesus' crown of gold, crown, gold crown represents the authority to rule as king over the earth. Who's been ruling the earth up to this point? Satan has. He, this has been his domain. Uh, and we've been reading about it. Jesus says, uh-uh. I'm coming for you. He's king of the earth. He's wearing the crown. This is the return of the king. Jesus is exercising his right to rule. And why does Jesus have the right to rule over the world? Uh, well, he's God, right? I'd say that's enough. But, 
But look at the second reason is Jesus' gold crown represents the complete victory Jesus won over sin and death at the cross. I can't even read it. I get so tied up. This is the victory of good versus evil. Death and sin are defeated. Amen. The curse is broken. And so he has a crown to show that. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This first time, Jesus came physically. You remember, he came physically to the earth uh, in peace. He's coming physically again. The second time, he comes as a warrior. So write this down. Write this down. The first time Jesus came to earth, he came in peace. He came in peace. He goes, hey, I'm here to rescue people. I'm here to die on the cross, to shed my blood for you. He, he says, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the messed up. He's talking about you and me, right? But look, the second time Jesus comes as a king leading his army for battle. Some of you are like, are you sure about this, Paul? Because you bit off onto a kind of Jesus that is not in the Bible, maybe. He comes in war this time, not in peace. Let that sink in for a moment. The time for getting right with Jesus is now, not then. Like you got to, like while you can get, this is the time to get. You can't get then, you can't. All right. I get this question. I get this question. Why, you know, there's so much evil in the world. Uh, if God is all powerful, if Jesus is all good, why doesn't he come back and put it right? Well, baby, he's going to. He's going to. This is what's happening. The fake Jesus that so many Christians have bought into from fake churches uh, is a weak Jesus. Uh, he wouldn't hurt a bunny. Uh, that's not the Jesus that we see today. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Remember I said the day of the Lord, the second coming, is one of the most prophesied events in all of Scripture. Right. Check this out. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, quotes Enoch from the Old Testament. Now, watch when I read this uh, uh, how old Enoch is or, or where, he, where he is at in Scripture. It says, it was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, so we're talking old, prophesied you ready look the lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all do you understand what's happening the ungodly convict all of the ungodly concerning the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him He's coming back to put this right. Do you understand how old that is? I mean, you're talking 6,000 years that this is quoted from. This is old prophecy. Who is Jesus coming for on this? He's coming for the ungodly that have not repented. Jesus is gunning for them. Let me just put it clearly. He's coming for war. We're going to see, uh, get to this in the next few weeks but this is huge uh, you cannot miss the next few weeks it's gonna be amazing a little side note we don't have time to go there today but we will again in the future look at the crown and all that we uh, 
that he's wearing will also get a crown man we could preach a series on this what our crown looks like but we don't have time right now back to verse 14 what else did he have in his hand what else what else sickle here's a sickle uh this is just like a hand sickle this one's like razor sharp you know like hammer and sickle back on the uh the flag of the soviet union remember that or maybe you're more familiar with this kind of old one kind of a two-handed sickle on this and uh, now this is what a sickle is we're not sure what it looked like but here let me see if i can let me see if i can do this for us um play just just a little bit of video here it is uh, just a picture here. You see, this is today. This is today what this looks like. This is somewhat, most of the world still harvests this way. Notice, notice the wheat here is dry. It means it's ripe. It's gold. And you got this sickle. It's coming. This is what Jesus is holding in his hand. But the question is, why why is he holding this sickle here any ideas of what what this is let's see if we can get this to go sickles are the old-fashioned way of harvesting crops uh, the point is that jesus is holding something that says uh, he is the king and he plans on harvesting something Let's see if I can make this connection for us. Check this out. Check this out. Sorry, let me fix my headset right quick on this. Let me see if I can make this, uh, this work a little bit easier. Can you hear this? It just came apart. Let me see if I can make this connection for us. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are what? few the harvest is abundant but the workers are few therefore in other words since that's the case pray to the lord of the harvest to send out the workers into the harvest uh raise your hand if you serve anywhere at bent tree church man on any team look how many uh you guys would be what we're talking about you are the workers what is jesus talking about the workers tending the crops planting making sure they're watered all that growing them by the way if you serve in the church if you don't serve in the church this is your opportunity uh remember our mission is what say it with me plant grow and this is the ultimate harvest time what we're talking about this is the ultimate harvest write this down the sickle represents that jesus is ready to reap the harvest he's ready to reap the harvest look at verse 15 another angel came out of the temple this is in heaven crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud who's seated on the cloud Jesus said, this guy's coming out of the temple. He's about to say something. Look, use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, this is, angel is coming out of the heavenly temple, the real temple, not the temple on the earth that the Antichrist is ruling from. The angel brings the news that this is the time for Christ to begin the end the at first it sounds like this angel is a com is commanding christ on his own but that's not what the case is he's clearly bringing a message from where inside the temple where god is look at this look at this verse 16 then 
So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle. Who's seated on the cloud? Jesus is. He swings his sickle over the earth, and the earth was, say it with me, harvested. Look at the imagery. Jesus does the harvesting. This is the beginning of the end of the age. We're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks. But write this down. The, wheat har the harvest of wheat is a symbol of Jesus bringing home the Christians that are still on earth. And some of you are going, Paul, I thought you taught the rapture. And I do. It's an open-handed issue. Open-handed issue. But let me explain. The ones that have become believers during the seven years of tribulation. You with me? He's bringing the Christians home. And if you think back to Joel and our picture that Jesus even gave us, that parable, he's cutting down the weeds, everything there, and he's, uh, he's separating that stuff there. You with me? This is an open-handed issue, meaning good theologians on this disagree, but from my study, I believe this is where all the remaining Christians are harvested. And I do mean killed, but it may be uh, simply that they're taken instantly to heaven. What I want you to see is that Jesus himself is the one that brings these people home. He separates the wheat from the chaff, just like John the Baptist prophesied. I have to tell you that many pastors believe, this is a, a common belief, and I'm not, I'm not arguing or saying that they're wrong because this is an open-handed issue. They believe that the rapture doesn't happen at the first of the uh, tribulation. They believe it happens here. I respectfully disagree. Respectfully disagree, but close friends have this. The truth is we just can't know for sure. Jesus has left this thing shrouded, at least for the time. Look at verse 17. Here it is. Then another angel who had a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. All right, this is another angel. Not the angel that told Jesus it was harvest time, but it makes clear that another angel came with a sickle too. By the way, this is where we get the popular image of the angel of death. You remember this picture? This is the picture. Now, who knows what it looks like? And some of you just go, you mean that's out of the Bible? Yes, this is what it's talking about here. Watch uh, that what this angel does. This is verse 18. Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar. So this is another angel on top of that. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, this is the angel. Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grape from the vineyard of the earth because it is grapes, its grapes have ripened. This is the third angel now, right? An angel tells Jesus to harvest the wheat. Jesus does. The second angel comes out, the angel of death holding a sharp sickle. Got the picture? A third angel apparently comes from also the temple area. He's coming from the altar and he says, look, I want you to take your sickle and not harvest wheat. Your job is to harvest grapes. I want you to see this. The harvest of grapes is a symbol of Jesus bringing judgment on the enemies of God. Now, you saw him harvest the, uh, the chaff and the weeds. Yes, we think this is armies and military, you can write down. We're going to be unpacking this in the next few weeks. But people that have come against Christ and Jesus is going to fight them. 
What we are seeing is that justice is beginning to be meted out on the unjust. That would mean anyone who is not a Christian uh, or, or who has Mark of the Beast. What we're saying is this is probably armies, leaders. Now you can say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an enemy of Jesus. And let me just, let, just as your friend right now, say there's only two teams and there is no middle ground in this battle of good versus evil. And, and like, let me just tell you, like put my arm around you as your friend and say it's time to get right with God because the time is running out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Watch what happens. Again, this is like a scrapbook way of looking at this, this imagery, but we'll come back and look at other descriptions of this in a more literal form. But this should make your blood run cold. So the angel, this is the angel of death, swung his sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard and, and uh, vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great winepress of what? God's wrath. Now this is, this is big. Now hold it right there. Where did the grapes get tossed? Be literal. Into the winepress of what? God's great wrath. Now many of you go, I, you, you like wine, you just don't know where it comes from. So here's, here's the picture. This is an old, this is like around Jerusalem and this is a winepress, big vat. And, and they'd put all the grapes in there and people would just dance on them, whole bunch of people. And, and what would happen is it would mash uh, the, the, the other stuff other than the juice would go down low and then the juice would rise and it would go through here, be put into little stone jars or in bowls. This is God's wine press. Do you see the imagery? God himself is going to pour his wrath out on his in enemies. He is delivering justice, and it's not immediate death uh, to those people, but the next few chapters is going to unpack what this wrath looks like. In other words, what I want to tell you is it's not everybody, boom, dies at once. There is going to be something I'm going to show you in just a minute, and then some uh, major judgment over the next couple of weeks. What the Bible describes as seven bowls of judgment. But look at the imagery here. This is going to blow your mind. Verse 20, then the press was trampled outside the city. Now, we're not going to go there today, but just remember this. It is outside the city. What city? Jerusalem. This is important to understand. Watch this. Up to this point, everything has been imagery, right? It's been talking about sickles and wrath and grapes and wheat. And you go, all right, what's he talking about? Crowns. It goes from imagery to literal in this next word are you ready watch this and the blood flowed out of the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles this is about four feet tall horse's bridle is about this and it's not talking about blood flowing like a river uh, it's about think murder scene splatter blood splattering about four feet high 180 miles. Why is that important? Remember, it's outside the city. We're going to get into this. It's going to mess you up, but 180 miles is the length of north to south of Israel. Just what it is. Um, from north to south. Here's what you need to understand. The wine press 
trampled is a symbol of the final battle of the war between God and Satan called Armageddon. Armageddon. So many things have been called Armageddon that people forget there's a real Armageddon. Some of you thought it was a um, bad movie in the 90s about an asteroid. Uh, this is so much more real. Next week, we're going to look at the battle of Armageddon, how it will take place, and what it will possibly look like, who are some of the players, uh, and how will the United States possibly uh, uh, be involved in this. I don't want to leave you hanging here, uh, but that's the way I get you to come back. Uh, so, <laughs> Pastor Mike described uh, an analogy I love uh, last week. He used this analogy of like driving from the plains uh, towards, uh, towards the west and seeing the mountains, right? And if you think about, if you think about that uh, piece there, is you have the mountains look like one piece, right? All one line going across. Looks one-dimensional. But as you get close, you, you go, well, this little mountain is actually a much bigger mountain, and it's not on the front. It's maybe 100 miles back, and, it's, and you get all these different levels, right, of how the mountains look and actually are. This is how we look at eschatology or what we called the study of the end times. I know that the mountains look different here as we are approaching them, the end times. You go, well, I didn't know that this came after that, and these are open-handed things. But the closer you get, you realize the depths of these mountains. Some further back, some taller, you didn't realize. Listen to me, Christ is returning soon. Amen. Hebrews 10, 37 says this. For yet in a very little while the coming one will come and not delay. Who's the coming one? Be Jesus. That scripture, that's not me. This is not an open-handed issue. This is a closed-handed issue. Jesus begins and ends the book of Revelation with the, con the comment that says, look, I want you to understand I'm coming soon. Get ready. What do you, I mean, just throwing that out there, what do you think he means? He's coming soon and get ready. I mean, that's what we're talking about. That's the scripture. I have spoken to people, why does, why does the end, though, have to be so bloody? Stay with me, stay with me. Why does it have to be so bloody? The answer is justice. The price of our sin is tremendous. Can you picture dead, splatter, blood, crime scene for 180 miles, a battle like that? Blood will flow at the second coming of Christ. How could God be that bloody in his revenge? One word, justice. Perfect justice. The prophet Isaiah said this to us. He said, but your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not Listen, sin separates people from a holy God. Justice demands that people who have sinned against a holy God face death. But there's good news, right? Look at this. 
Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are owed justice, death, but God offers us life through Christ Jesus. Now this next verse messes people up. This is where I want us to land. Listen real close. This is talking about Jesus' death on the cross, why it's so bloody. This is going to it's going to make you feel a little strange, but look, Isaiah 53, 10 says, Yet the Lord, talking about God, was pleased to crush him severely. Some of you go, I, I don't get it. Jesus' death on the cross was so horrible, he takes the place of, our, uh, uh, of what we were supposed to receive as judgment. Why does it say it pleased God, though, to crush his son? It's a deep question, one that books have been written about, but here's the short answer. Because Jesus became our sin. And God wants to kill sin so that we would be brought back into fellowship with Him. Jesus' death on the cross is so central to everything the Scripture reveals. Old Testament in Genesis all the way to the very last page of Revelation 22. The new entire, I'm sorry, the entire book is about God's redemption of His children and the utter punishment He will bring on His enemies. Oh, please get this. What we've seen today, and over and over in the next couple of weeks, we'll see is Jesus delivers justice to those who have rejected him as Savior and Lord. And why does it have to be so bloody? Why does it have to be so awful? Because God is, for once and all, will kill sin and death. And we will be with him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just so blown away with this, God, that you would offer your son, that it would please you to bruise him, to crush him. God, I sense your love. And I know the believers in this room sense your love as well. We've heard that it's about being ready. But brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm talking to you that love Jesus. Are you ready? You said, you say, we, we've got to be ready, but it's been so long, 2,000 years. And yet he says, I'm coming soon. We're to treat the years as months, to treat the months as days, treat the days as hours, treat the hours as minutes. Jesus is coming in a few minutes. Do you understand me? How is God calling you to live your life right now, believers in Christ? The urgency should be there for us all. Will you live to share your faith, church? 
Christians, if you'll live to share your faith, if you'll live for urgency for Christ, if you've been reminded this morning of the urgency and you will live with urgency, just simply out loud but boldly say, I will. For those of you who don't know Christ, I pray for you a lot. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been here since the beginning. My, my thing is, the Holy Spirit of God is calling you to life. He is waking you up. It's like you're wrapped in grave clothes, laying in a grave spiritually. You are dead, but God through his son Jesus, through that Holy Spirit, is calling you to life. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. He doesn't make, he doesn't make bad people good. Jesus makes dead people alive. Do you understand? If you do, if you do understand even a little bit of that, you're hearing the voice of Jesus. Listen, if you're not a Christian, or you're Christian and you, you're not following Jesus with what he said, like you don't, like you still are sinning, you're still, uh, you're not obeying what Jesus called you to do. Maybe you're not sharing your faith. Jesus is calling, he's saying, come follow me. So to do that, if you're not a Christian, what you do is simply surrender. You talk to God and, and hear me. It's, it's not like you flip a switch and, and you say, well, because I prayed, I'm saved. What I'm saying is you are acknowledging who God is in his son, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So talk to God and say this, God, save me. Save me. Forgive me of my sins because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he has. Say this, I believe Jesus is your son, the son of God, sent to save the world. Now listen, if you just prayed that, you are a believer your body still likes the feel of sin. You probably have the same addictions. You probably are used to the same sin, but you are alive. You are different now. So what you've got to do is to begin to follow Jesus. His, his commands, his step, coming to his steps, his, his idea of you coming to church, being a part of a fellowship of other Christians where you can live your life for him. Slowly but surely, God will give you a new heart and a new mind. He'll give you a new way of thinking. You're just a baby in Christ right now, but you will grow up to be a mature person that you can share your faith and read your Bible. So just say to Jesus right now, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, I commit to follow you. Pray that. And hear me, you're going to fall down some. That's okay. Jesus' blood is enough. 
It washes away all the sins, past, present, future. What you concentrate on now is pulling close to Jesus. So end your prayer like this. God, help me with your spirit to follow Jesus' commands. Make me into everything you want me to be. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.